But anger, I believe, is probably a giant that, that, that more people deal with maybe than any other giant in their life. They, they may not admit that. They may not admit that anger is a problem in their lives. But for so many people, anger is a huge giant that is holding them hostage and keeping people from the best that God has for you. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, and I know that you've heard this passage before as it relates to anger, but the Apostle Paul said, be angry and do not sin. So let me just stop right here for a moment and tell you that it's not a sin to get angry. I mean, notice what Paul is saying. He didn't say, don't be angry. He said, be angry. It's okay to be angry, and we'll talk about that a little bit more here in just a minute, but he said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or your anger. And then he says this, he says, neither should you give place to the devil. Now in that passage of scripture, the apostle Paul shares with us two kinds of anger. And I want you to write these down this morning. If you have a way to write down some notes, write these two things down. The first kind of anger that he talks about is he talks about sanctified anger. Because listen to what he says. He says, be angry and do not sin. Now, how many of you know you've got to be sanctified to be able to do that? To get angry without allowing your anger to lead you to sin. So there is such a thing as a sanctified anger. Being angry but not sinning as a result of your anger. A good example of that would be Jesus. You know, when Jesus went into the temple and the temple that was supposed to be a, a house of prayer and they had turned it in, the money changers had turned it into a den of thieves. And Jesus walks in with sanctified anger and he turns the tables of the money changers over. He makes himself a whip and drives the money changers out of the temple and restores the temple back to what God originally intended it to be, which was a house of prayer. That's an example of sanctified anger. Another good example of sanctified anger is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is what we've been looking at every week, this encounter between David and Goliath, between the Israelites and the Philistines. And we see that when David came on the scene and he heard Goliath taunting and defying the armies of God and in the process also taunting and defying the God of those armies, the God of heaven. It was more than he could stand. There was a sanctified, righteous indignation that rose up on the inside of him that, that caused him to think, you know what, this is not right. This is wrong. Not only is this giant defying the army of God, but he's defying and mocking the God of heaven whom I serve. And I'm not going to stand for this. And it was his sanctified anger that led him to go out and fight Goliath and gain a victory. So there is such thing as a sanctified anger. Be angry and do not sin. But then he talks about another kind of anger in this passage of scripture, and that is sinful anger. Because listen to what he says. He says, be angry and do not sin. So that tells us that evidently there is some anger in our lives that if we're not sanctified, if we're not careful, can lead us to sin, to do something that we should not do, to say something that we should not say. 
And then he goes on and he says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. You know what that word place literally means? It means a room. Let me ask you something. Have you prepared a room in your house for the devil? Have you prepared a guest room in your house for Satan? Because the Bible says that if we get angry and we let the sun go down on our wrath before we deal with it, that what we are doing is we are opening the door for the enemy to come in. We are giving him an opportunity to come in to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It's as if we're saying, come on in, I have a room just for you because of anger. We, see a, we also see an example of sinful anger in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You remember David's brother, his oldest brother, a guy by the name of Eliab. And I want you to remember that name because we're going to talk about him quite a bit this morning. But David's oldest brother was a guy by the name of Eliab. The Bible tells us that Eliab was tall, that he was well-built, that he was handsome. Matter of fact, he was such, a, such an impressive physical specimen that when Samuel was sent by God to Jesse's house to anoint the new king of Israel, when Samuel saw Eliab, he thought to himself, surely this is the one that God has chosen. I mean, just look at him. He's handsome. He's tall. Look at that physique. I mean, look how strong he is. Look how handsome he is. I mean, he's well put together. He's got it together. Surely this is the one that God is going to anoint to be the new king over Israel. Not only that, but he was also Jesse's firstborn, which you would have thought that the blessing would have automatically gone to that firstborn. But if you know the story well, God spoke to Samuel and said, that's the problem, Samuel, because you see, man, they look at the outward appearance. But God said, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at a man's heart. And God knew that Eliab's heart was not in the place to where he should be leading the nation of Israel. And he bypassed Eliab and the other six brothers. And instead, the youngest brother, the runt of the litter, was brought in from the pasture. And God said, this is the one that I want you to anoint that will become the new king of Israel. And I've already told you this. Can you imagine how Eliab must have felt? I've been rejected by God. Been rejected by God in favor of my younger, my youngest brother. Not only though was there those feelings of rejection that caused him to be angry, there was also those, those feelings of rage or those feelings of jealousy that caused him to be angry. You remember when David came down to the battlefield and brought the supplies to his brother and when David heard Goliath taunting the nation of Israel, he's, he was like, who, who is this guy? Why aren't you guys doing something about this giant? And David began to talk some smack. I'm just telling you. He began to talk some smack. He said, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to re represent God and it's not going to be me who fights this battle. It's going to be God who fights this battle. And today that Philistine giant has said his last word. Today that Philistine giant is coming down for the glory of God. And when his older brother Eliab heard it, here was his response. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger. Let me just stop right there for a minute. Did you know that there are 15 different scriptures in the Bible where when you read those 15 different verses, you will find the words anger and fire together in 15 different verses. 
And I believe it's because anger is like a fire. I mean, let's face it, fire can be a good thing. Fire can warm us. Fire can cook to, to feed us. So fire can be a good thing. Anger can be a good thing if it's a righteous indignation, if it's a righteous fire. But we also know the destructive nature of a fire. We know the damage that a fire can do. And notice what it says here. It says that Eliab burned with anger at him and asked. Now, you've got to hear the tone in his voice. Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are, David, and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. You can feel the anger in the tone of his voice. You can sense the jealousy and the resentment that he has toward his younger brother. It was a sinful anger that caused him to respond in a sinful way. You go on and read some more of this story and you find that the present king of Israel, Saul, would respond the same way. Because after David had slain Goliath, the women began to sing this song. Saul has slain his thousands. But David has slain his tens of thousands. And immediately Saul got jealous. And Saul began to feel threatened by David. And for the rest of Saul's life, he would make it his mission to try and chase David down in order to murder him, to kill him. You see, that's what unrighteous anger can lead to. So there is sanctified anger, but there is also sinful anger. Now, I just want to do two things this morning as it relates to anger. The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to talk about the wrong way to deal with anger. The wrong way to deal with anger. The wrong way to express our anger. Just in case you're one of those that's struggling today and you're being held hostage to anger and you're dealing with it the wrong way, let's, let's talk about what that might look like. First of all, some people, when it comes to anger, some people are spewers. And here's what spewers do. Spewers express. They express their anger. But not in a righteous way. In an unrighteous way. Now maybe you're one of those. Maybe you're one of those that would be a spewer. Because a spewer is somebody who is quick-tempered. A, a, a spewer is somebody who has a short fuse. A spewer is somebody that it doesn't take much to set them off. And when they blow up, everybody knows they've blown up. And everybody knows they're angry because of the way they respond to their anger. They're spewers. Now, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, pastor, you are describing me. I am a spewer. But let's face it, pastor. You know, we're really the healthy ones because we blow up. But once we blow up, we're fine. You know, once we blow up, once we blow off the steam, we're, we're, we're fine. Yeah, you're fine, but there's the damage now that has to be dealt with as a result. You know, a bomb doesn't last very long till it explodes. It blows up, but then you've got all of that collateral damage that comes with it that has to be cleaned up. Spewers. Now listen, I didn't say this, the Bible said this, that if you're a spewer, you're a fool. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 29 and 11. Fools vent their anger, but wise people quietly hold it back. What do fools do? They vent their anger. 
They express it unrighteously. Look look at this next passage of Scripture, Proverbs 14 and 17. Short-tempered people do foolish things. Somebody say amen to that. Have you ever lost your temper in the heat of the moment and did something that later or said something that later you regretted? You guys know, I think I've shared this story with you before. And the good thing about it is, maybe there's somebody here today who hasn't heard it before, but I'm at that place now to where I can't remember my stories that I've told and the ones that I haven't. So for me, I'm telling it for the first time. When, I, when, we went to, when we went to Atlanta to pastor, and you guys know how the traffic is in Atlanta. And I'm going to tell you something. If you have an anger problem, you don't need to live in Atlanta, Georgia. You just don't. And I'm on my way to the church one, one morning, and I believe it was like on a Monday morning. And I'm on my way to church, and I get behind, I kid you not, I feel like the slowest driver in Atlanta. And, I, and, and you know how we do, we lose our temper, get right on the bumper. Just ride, on, ride, ride that bumper. Just ride it. Flashing lights, come on, come on, I'm in a hurry. Get on up the road. I mean, just acting a fool. And I'm following this car on my way to the church, and it's time, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a little bit down the road from the church, and it gets time for me to pull into the church. But just before I do, the car in front of me pulls into the church. What'd you do, Pastor? I just kept going. No way I was stopping. Short-tempered people do foolish things. You've been there. You've done that. You know what I'm saying? You get, you, get, you get impatient. You get angry because somebody's driving slow. You get on their bumper. You honk your horn. You flash your lights. And then you get on up the road ahead of them. You get stopped by the red light. And then about 15 miles per hour comes this other car that you just passed. And they've caught up with you. And they just look over at you and smile. I got here at the same time you did. Anger. Short-tempered people do foolish things. I love this paraphrase in Ecclesiastes 7 and 9. Don't be quick to fly off the handle. Anger anger boomerangs. You can spot a fool by the lumps on his head. How many of you got some lumps on your head this morning? I got some lumps on my head. Because anger, uncontrolled anger, used to be a real issue in my life. But thank God I'm being conformed more and more into the image of God. So you've got spewers. But not only do you have spewers, you also have stewers. And whereas spewers express it, stewers suppress it. They push it, push it down. They try to pretend like it's not there. A good example of a stewer would be in the Old Testament book of Genesis chapter 3, where two brothers, Abel and Cain, bring offerings to God. And God accepts Abel's offering, but he rejects Cain's offering. Again, a man feeling rejected by God and seeing his brother's offering accepted, but his rejected. And man, jealousy and rejection just begins to eat him alive like cancer. And so God speaks to him and says, Cain, why are you so angry? Now, let let me just stop right here at this point in this message and ask you that question. Why are you so angry? 
Those of you that are being held hostage to anger, those of you that are struggling big time with anger because you know the issue we're going to talk about next week, addiction. One of the reasons, one of the main reasons people struggle with addiction is because they struggle with anger. And it's the way that they try to deal with the anger in their lives. But let me ask you, why are you angry this morning? Did somebody say something to you? Has somebody done something to you? Has somebody made a promise to you and then not fulfilled that promise? Has somebody violated you? Has somebody abused you? There's some people here this morning, you're angry at God. Because... God didn't come through the way that you expected God to come through. But you need to ask yourself that question because until you get to the root, because you've got to understand, anger is a fruit. It's not the root. There's something at the root of your life that's causing anger and, and for you to react the way that you react or respond the way that you respond. And so he said to Cain, he said, Cain, why are you so angry? And he said, why do you look so dejected? You see, people who think that they are suppressing it really, really isn't. It, it shows up on your face. It shows up on your countenance. People can tell if you're struggling with anger, bitterness, resentment, jealousy. It'll age you quicker than you want to age. But not only that, it will put a look of misery on your face. People can look at your countenance. God could look at Cain's countenance and tell, something's not right with you, boy, and you better deal with it. And he goes on and he says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must master and sub or you must subdue it and be its master. Cain, that anger is going to get the best of you. The enemy's knocking at the door, and you better not open the door and let him in. But what did Cain do? He did not deal with his anger, and he ended up responding in a sinful way, murdering his brother, taking the life of his brother. So you've got spewers, and you've got stewers. Listen, it's not healthy. It's not the right way to spew, and it's not the right way to deal with anger by stewing. So what is the right way to deal with anger? Here's what I want you to see. First of all, when it comes to sanctified anger, I encourage you, the Bible encourages you, fan the flame. When it comes to sanctified anger, fan the flame. It continues to amaze me what people get mad at, and it amazes me even more what people don't get mad at. Can I, can I say that one more time? That it amazes me what people get angry at, but it amazes me even more what people don't get angry at. In, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus walks into the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now get this. He's in church on the Sabbath. And when he walks into church on the Sabbath, there's some religious Pharisees in that congregation. But also in that congregation is a man with a withered hand. A man with a, with a hand that, that, that is palsied and, and, and he's, he's not able to use his hand. And Jesus recognizes that man with a withered hand and he begins to walk towards him to heal him on the Sabbath. But as he's walking toward that man to heal him on the Sabbath, he suddenly 
recognizes the thoughts in the hearts of those Pharisees that they're sitting there watching him saying, hmm, I wonder if he's going to heal somebody on the Sabbath because you're not supposed to do any work. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. So if he heals this man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, then we've got him backed into a corner. Is that not crazy? They're in church. And they still don't want Jesus to heal a man with a withered hand. Their tradition is more important to them than that man being healed. And Jesus looked at them knowing their thoughts. Jesus looked at him and he said, what's better? To let this man go on as he is or to heal him on the Sabbath? And they remained quiet. And notice the response of Jesus. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. Why? Because Jesus saw that man's hand and said, God did not create your hand that way. God did not create you to have a hand like that. God created you to be healthy and whole and to be healed. And Jesus knew that he had the power to heal that man. And nothing, nobody's traditions, nobody's rules, nobody's hang-ups was going to keep Jesus from doing what God had called him to do and that righteous anger motivated him to do the work and the will of his father oh I tell you there's some things we're not getting mad about that we need to get mad about and there's some things that we've been mad about that we need to get over somebody help me preach here this morning because I'm preaching the gospel amen we need to get angry this morning that there's people within a 10-mile radius of this church. There's people who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. There's people that if they were to die today, they would bust hell wide open. That's what we need to get angry about is that nobody's telling them the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I tell you what we need to get angry about. We need to get angry that the enemy is taking our sons and our daughters. We need to get angry and we need to fight and say, you're not getting my sons. You're not getting my daughters. No, 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 you're not. No, you're not. Some of you need to get angry about your marriage. The problem is you've been so busy fighting against one another. And what you need to do is join forces and fight against the one who's trying to destroy your marriage, who's trying to destroy your family. You need to get mad enough at the devil that the devil knows he's got a fight on his hands. Somebody, oh, somebody preach. Help me preach. Amen. We need to get mad that there's 130-something kids in our county that don't have a home. Foster children that don't have a home. They have to be put in group homes. They have to be placed wherever they can find a place to put them. That's what we ought to be getting angry about. We ought to be getting angry about the issues of homelessness. We ought to be getting angry about the issues of poverty. We ought to be getting angry about the issues of addiction. That's what we ought to be mad about. Amen. So when it comes to sanctified anger, fan the flame. Go ahead, get mad at sin. Go ahead, get mad at injustice. Go ahead, get mad at poverty. Go ahead and get mad at a Go ahead and get mad at the devil. It's all right. Hallelujah. You're sitting in new chairs this morning. I ought to get at least an extra 15 minutes because you're more comfortable. But when it comes to sinful anger, when it comes to sanctified anger, fan that flame. But when it comes to sinful anger, put it out. 
you got to put that fire out. Like a loved one that's on fire and they will die if you don't respond. You better put that fire out. Look at what the Bible tells us in Proverbs 17 and 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. It's like opening the floodgates. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Look at your neighbor and say, just drop it. Not worth it. Just drop it. It's, it's crazy, the stuff that we get angry at. That don't mean a hill of beans. That has nothing near eternity attached to it. And we get angry about it. And then before you know it, man, I, it's like a dam has burst. And the floodwaters have been released. And the Bible tells us, don't go there. It ain't worth it. Drop it. Don't matter if the dishwasher got loaded correctly. It really don't. It doesn't matter how the clothes, you know, I watched how the clothes got ironed. All of that, we, we get angry about so many things. And then before we know it, it's like we have breached a dam. The floodgates are open. And then after all the damage is done, we're sitting there thinking, why did I ever say anything? I should have just kept my mouth shut. Yes, drop it. Some things you just got to drop. It's not worth going there. Look at this passage of Scripture in James 1, 19 and 20. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, so, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Three, three things right there that, that James tells us as to how we can put out the fire of anger. Number one, he says, be quick to listen. In other words, step back. Just step back. I mean, how, how many arguments, fights, things we've said we wish we hadn't said, things we'd done we wish we had not done. How many of that, much of that could have been avoided if we would have just taken time out of the heat of the moment to just step back? And then he says, not only be quick to listen, but be slow to speak. So don't just step back. Shut up. I told you, sanctified anger is not easy. It's hard. You have to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. Step back. Shut up and then be slow to get angry. Surrender control. Step back. Shut up. Surrender control. And he said, this is why. He said, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You can get mad all you want. Take matters into your hands all you want. But it's not going to produce what God's anger would produce, what righteous anger will produce. Look at this passage of Scripture again in Ephesians 4. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And team, if you'll go ahead and come and get ready to close us this morning. I want you to notice this. This is so important as it relates to putting out the fire of anger. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Listen, this is not just a passage of Scripture for married people. That if you're in an argument with your husband, your wife, with your spouse, then you need to make sure that things are cool before you go to bed at night. Jamie and I made that commitment a long, long time ago. That we would not lay down in the bed and go to sleep at night if we were mad at each other. Now, there have been days we haven't had any sleep. <laughs> but we're not going to let it happen. 
You know, let me tell you, do you know what he's talking about right here, guys? The hardest thing you will ever have to do when it comes to anger, forgive. I'm going to say that again. It's called forgiveness. And some of you that are being held a hostage to anger, when you really get to the root of it, it's an issue of unforgiveness. And that's why the Bible tells us, don't let the sun go down. Release, forgive. Because if you don't, you're given a place to the devil to come in to destroy you, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your family. And you could have shut the door just by saying, I forgive you. It's not worth costing us our marriage. It's not worth costing us our family. It's not worth costing us what God has given us. Forgive. Yes, it's easier said than done. And again, you've got to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. Let me close with this. I go back to David's brother, a guy by the name of Eliab. And I think we can all identify with Eliab. He felt rejected. He had feelings of jealousy against his brother. He spewed his anger all over David because of his jealousy and because of the rejection. But you know what? Sometimes we don't finish reading a story. And here's what I love about Eliab. Because I can, I can just almost think that Eliab one day thought, you know what? If I, don't, if I don't get control of this anger issue in my life, it's going to destroy me. He says, well, I'm going to have to deal with it. But he's thinking, I know I can't deal with it myself, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need the help of God. So when you continue to read on in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 12, a, a, a different book now in a different place, but I want you to hear this. This is telling the story about how that when David became king, some of the army, some of the soldiers that were fighting for Saul defected and left Saul and came and began to fight with David, pledged their allegiance to David. And notice what it says. It said, some brave and experienced warriors from the tribe of Gad also defected to David while he was at the stronghold in the wilderness. They were expert with both shield and spear, as fierce as lions and as swift as deer on the mountains. They were some bad boys. Ezer was their leader. Obadiah was second. Eliab was third. Third in command in David's army. So somewhere along the way, he evidently went to his brother or his brother went to him. And they forgave one another. They patched things up to the point that David said, I can trust you as third in command of my army. When David finally found the Ark of the Covenant and decided that he was going to bring it back to Jerusalem, and he put together his procession, he said, I need some people who know how to play the harp. And do you know what the Bible says? Eliab was one of those chosen to play the harp as they were bringing the Ark of God, the presence of God, back into the city of Jerusalem. And then you go on, 1 Chronicles 27, it says, the following were the tribes of Israel and their leaders. The 12 tribes of Israel. It's going to tell us who these 12 tribes were and who their leaders were. And when you get down to the tribe of Judah, the tribe of praise, notice who it says, Elihu, who was Eliab, who was a brother of David. Now I'm going to tell you right now, Eliab would have never gotten to where 
he went. He would have never been successful. He would have never prospered. He would have never gotten to the destiny that God had planned for his life if he had not first of all dealt with his anger. And I'm telling you, it's keeping some of you from God's best for your life. But the moment you can let it go, the moment you can have God help you with whatever it is that's producing that anger in your life, I'm telling you, it's only then that you're going to see God's best. It's only then that you're going to get to where God wants to take you. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. God wants to promote you. But before he can do that, just like with Eliab, you've got to deal with that anger. Stand with me. Is there anybody else in this room here today besides me that wants to be like God? Anybody? Let me see your hand. You, do you want to be, truly, do you want to be like God? Psalm 103 verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger. And you better say amen for that. Because if he wasn't, He'd have done wiped all of us out. He is slow to anger, and then I love this, abounding in love. That's where God wants to take us. He wants to get us to a place to where we're slow to anger, but we're abounding in love. Father, you've come to set the captives free. And there's people here in this room today, God, that They've been a hostage long enough to anger in their lives. It's destroying them. It's destroying everything about them. It's destroying their marriage. It's destroying their family. It's destroying their children. It's destroying their destiny. But you have come to set the captive free. Jesus has already come and he's destroyed every giant that we will ever face. He's put it under his feet so that we can walk in victory. So Father, I pray today that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will help us to get to the root of this issue. Holy Spirit, I hear you asking us. Listen to me, church. I hear the Holy Spirit asking us this morning, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? And that if you don't do something about it, sin crouches at the door. And if you're not careful, you give him just an inch. You open the door just a little. And he will come in to your house, into your life, and destroy everything about you. But you've got to subdue it and take control of it only by the help of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, begin to do your work in this room right now. I want you right now, if you're struggling with anger in this house, I want you just to lift up your hands in worship to God. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.